Humpty Doo Barramundi is on the land of the First Nations Wauna Limanlin Gang people. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the country and pay respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. We acknowledge the elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge the spirits and ancestors of the clans that live in the Humpty Doo area. Well, the first thing about Barramundi is they're, they're a good fish to farm. You've got a really good product that will last a long time and uh, retain its quality and, and uh, is, is both safe and, and, uh, and, and, and good value. So they're really a, um, an ideal fish for farming. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. Is there a fish that invokes as much national pride as the mighty barramundi? Although it's a species that occupies a wide geographic range from the Arabian Gulf to China and Taiwan and to Papua New Guinea and all across Northern Australia, it is the Northern Territory that is the cultural, some might even say the spiritual home of this mighty fish. Barramundi, despite being referred to by various names in other parts of the world, is an Aboriginal word for large scaled silverfish that has become the ubiquitous international name for this delicious and versatile fish. Barramundi farming is the second largest aquaculture activity in the north of Australia after marine prawn farming. Among the attributes that make barramundi an ideal candidate for aquaculture are that it is a relatively hardy species which can flourish in a range of water conditions. It tolerates crowding and has wide physiological tolerances. It's a hardy feeder, grows relatively quickly, and the high breeding rate of the female fish provides plenty of material for the hatchery production of fingerlings. Although the barramundi farming industry has only been going since around 1986, there is a pioneering couple without whose vision, perseverance and downright faith in the fish, the industry might not be in the place it is today, as the second largest fin fish farming species in Australia. Bob Richards and Julie Tyson have built Humpty Doo Barramundi from a small, almost cottage business to being one of the largest barramundi farming operations in the world. Hi, I'm uh, Bob Richards, uh, Managing Director of Humpty Doo Bar- Barramundi, and I'm speaking to you from Darwin. I grew up in Darwin doing a lot of, there wasn't much to do in Darwin in those days except go fishing and play sport. And um, so I grew up as a keen fisherman. Um, and uh, I also used to do a lot of gardening with my father. I went and did an ag- agricultural science degree because I was interested in, in farming and food production and that side of things. Um, I then work, worked for a number of years for the uh, Northern Territory Government in, in uh, soil conservation, and, and which included in those days a lot of environmental aspects such as mine rehabilitation and um, controlling access to uh, sensitive areas and, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, I did quite a bit of backpacking through Southeast Asia, South America, and drove all around North America and worked as an environmental uh, consultant in Canada for about 15 months, um, where um, I brought to a, an, a highly professional expertise-packed uh, group, um, I think a, a pragmatic way of dealing with um, things that weren't of, of global significance because they, they were set up for absolutely major, um, invo- huge projects whereas I was used to dealing with, you know, only sort of multi-million dollar mines and things like that, not, not, not sort of billion dollar pipelines and things, you know. So I, I got, had a, a bit that kind of an environmental background. Um, 
And then I had an opportunity um, when I visited a friend to uh, become a shareholder in a startup Barramundi fund. And and it was something I hadn't ever really thought about, but um, when I did think about it, I was I was I understood it would be a long journey, and I knew the risks, but I was excited by the potential. The popularity and demand for Barramundi made it an obvious candidate for aquaculture. Apart from the characteristics that endear it to the consumer, tender, mild tasting and relatively forgiving to abuse from the amateur cook, the fish is also fast growing and can be grown in salinities ranging from fresh to seawater. This was seen as a valuable attribute for a species being raised in areas subject to monsoonal conditions. For Bob Richards, an agricultural scientist with a career in soil conservation, his belief in, in the barramundi as an aquaculture species took him on a journey that would become a life's work. Look, look there, there was a number of farms already established in Queensland, um, largely cane farmers who had an existing um, land and equipment and accommodation and access to water and uh, quite a good extension service. And, and so the industry was underway in Queensland and uh, several years down the track when we joined, uh, we're not, you know, a, a friend of mine um, had, in, had started the farm and, and the, the previous year and they'd put a few ponds in. And um, so it was just the early stages of the journey for the Northern Territory. Um, he was looking for an investor, and um, I, I, um, I, thought, I basically decided that I was interested and managed to convince my wife that it was um, something we, we should do, even though she was came off a farm and, and uh, probably had a better understanding of the difficulties ahead. Um, but that was it. <laughs> there, were, there were four one-tenth of a hectare uh, ponds that um, had water exchange with the rise and fall of the tide. So basically when the tide came in, water would come in and when the tide went out, water would go out. Um, it was a, um, a reliable water exchange system, but you didn't have much control over water flow. And also um, there was a few things that um, we didn't actually have any real control over visitors either. So um, Crocodiles would regularly um, walk in from the river and uh, and raid raid the raid the ponds of the few fish we had. And when the uh, first flood occurred, um, I, I kind of stood there and watched the floodwaters come in and watched all the fish swim out of the ponds. And so, it, initially, uh, we had a lot of trouble producing fingerlings and. Uh, and we didn't know very much about didn't, I didn't know very much about fish farming, so it was the beginning of a um, a long a long journey. But within within eighteen months, we were actually uh, producing and selling some fish. So the show was on the road. Humpty Doo is a small village, forty kilometres southeast of Darwin, on the stunning Adelaide River. Humpty Doo, like the rest of the outer Darwin area, experiences a tropical savanna climate with two distinct seasons. The wet season, when tropical thunderstorms pass through most days, and the dry season, where it's hot, damn hot and dry. 
The site we're on is um, on the Adelaide River floodplain, and, and the um, so we're down into the tidal reaches of, of the Adelaide River. Um, and what you've actually got is a, the floodplain there is about seven kilometres wide and, and and very flat, uh, and the river meanders down the river of Grove. It's a very typically, you know, windy type um, river, um, and. We, we own a couple of kilometres of river frontage and, and go, going back in about three kilometres, so we've got about 700 acre hectares. Um, and it turns out it's a, it was a good location for a barramundi farm. Um, it only floods rarely and, and relatively shallowly, the floodplain. Um, we've, we've got, we're still in a tidal zone of the river, so there's heaps of water uh, in the river. It's a couple hundred metres wide and, and, uh, and moving all the time. Um, we've got access to salt water, and so it, it, it turned out we, we actually had opportunity where there was going to be, be able to grow. And um, in the in the nineteen fifties uh, and sixties, it was developed um, as a rice farm, uh, as, as part of the Humpty Do Rice Project. Um, the uh, actual project failed, but uh, we, we've still got. Um, rice paddies and contour banks and, and channels and things, residual stuff, gradually being um, worn away. But there's still there's still remnants of those. It was also um, an area where a very large uh, feral bu buffalo population built up uh, prior to the introduction of the um, the eradication program associated with the uh, bovine tuberculosis control program in the uh, in the 70s. So it, it's it's um, it's got a history here yeah, of buffalo hunting and, and rice farming and obviously a, uh, a long uh, Indigenous uh, tradition before that. Bob Richards is a true visionary, a long-term thinker who had ideas for the potential of Humpty Doo Barra when it was just a couple of ponds and a handful of fish. His continual pursuit for innovation drove the farm, the family and some say the industry to become what it is today. We continued to do more of what we had been doing um, and, and then um, we decided to we, with the, the problem with tidal whilst tidal change was cheap and reliable it wasn't very productive because you you couldn't really control the amount of water that your fish were exposed to so we went to a flow through process where we actually started pumping water from the river into our ponds and then draining it back into the river and um, that increased productivity. Um, a real breakthrough occurred um, when the World Aquaculture, first World Aquaculture Conference was held outside of the United States was held in Sydney. And um, Julie and I, my wife Julie and I were able to attend it and we suddenly became aware of a lot more possibilities uh, of different ways to do things. And at that stage, we um, we, we built a, a very large pond for zero water exchange, which was based on the uh, methods used by the American catfish farmers, and and that um, that was a very successful growing fish, but it was very difficult to catch them in this huge pond. And so we continued to experiment until we came to the system we've got now which is basically um, recirculation 
pond aquaculture, whereby we grow our fish in ponds, but we have um, sort of artificially created uh, wetland systems where we treat the water so we can, we don't, our environmental discharges are minimal, but we can keep good quality salt water uh, in our ponds to grow our fish in. And so it was kind of a win-win-win in a way because it, it gives us a, probably a higher degree of biosecurity than if we we're exchanging water all the time. It minimises our environmental impact and and um, we don't have to worry so much about um, events that are happening in the river in terms of um, floods and water quality changes and so on. So we, we've, we've more or less um, got our main built and maintain our own um, healthy ecosystem to grow fish in. Returns to aquaculture farming enterprises are influenced by risks and uncertainty, which are inherent to aquaculture production. Growing an aquaculture business demands equal measures of belief and gumption, an ability to see off the dramatic challenges that the environment, the market, staff and the fish can throw up. To keep growing a business year after year for nearly quarter of a century is a rare feat in the seafood industry, let alone in a pioneering one. Look, our, our growth has been at, at a good rate, uh, pretty much from the, the very start. Um, in terms of percentage-wise, we um, growth rates of around you know 30, 50 percent have, have, have been the, the common factor. But if you if you're growing 100 kilos of fish a year, if you double your production, that's going from 100 to 200. If you're growing a thousand kilos a year, a thousand tons a year, then going from one 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 thousand tons to two thousand tons, percentage-wise, it's the same. But obviously. In terms of the amount, it's, it's massively different. And so uh, um, our rate of growth has remained high, but the, the, the accurate increments, the, the, the growth steps, have got to be much bigger over time. Um, and so consequently, uh, we've had to get more efficient in the way we run the farm and, and, and uh, to build markets and develop uh, good relationships with our business partners on all fronts. Um, keep in touch with the community so so that they know what's happening and um, address um, concerns uh, through information. Um, to embark on a staff development program and. Uh, Trying to ensure that things like, uh, you know, including Indigenous participation and um, uh, a wide, wide social uh, access. Uh, we've, we've, we've now got quite a few um, higher proportion of women than we've ever had working for us, and and we're also moving, becoming more professional. Um, as we move away from just straight technology transfer and operations into uh, a better understanding of um, how to integrate our business with our environment at, at, a, at a biological level, I suppose, an ecological level. Cult status of the barramundi is justly deserved. The flavour and texture of well-handled barramundi make for a truly unique eating experience. It's a special fish. As beautiful in reality as in the dreams of many anglers and chefs, its broad flaking flesh, mild sweet flavour and medium texture have seen it grown in popularity to become the second most important farmed fish after salmon in many parts of the world. 
Well, the first thing about Burrumbin is they're they're a good fish to farm. They're um, you can you can produce um, significant numbers of them relatively cheaply in, in the um, the rearing stage. So so um, a, a, a single um, mating can produce, produce literally millions of um, fertilised eggs and and hundreds of thousands of um, juveniles. Which, which means that um, there's a bit of there's a, a bit of a, you can scale up numbers without having having to have fast hatchery resources, um, and you can kind of select the, the better fish. Barramundi are does uh, come from this part of the world, and part of their life cycle often involves them being uh, stranded in in um, hot anaerobic uh, type environments and so, so they're, they're adapted to the uh, tough conditions that um, is, is, is presented in, in this part of the world um, for, 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 for fish, fish that spend part of their time in their life cycle in fresh water. So they're, they're good tough fish. Um, they've got good growth rates and they've got a good filter recovery percentage. So they're, they're a, a um, all in all, on the on the production side, they're they're a, they're a good fish to grow. Uh, on the other side, uh, they're a, a very popular eating fish. Um, uh, nice and meaty, not overly fishy. Um, exceptionally good um, shelf life, uh, and and um, being a tropical species, their enzymes and the bacteria they got are all. Uh, thermophilic, they're hot water um, adapted. So once you chill them down to uh, get them, get them cold, kill them, basically harvest them gently, um, give them a as, com- as comfortable a death as you can, sort of thing, and get them cold quickly. Keep your whole process very clean, and you've got a, you've got a really good product that will last a long time and uh, retain its quality and. and uh, is both safe and and, uh, and 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 good value, so they're really a uh, an ideal fish for farming. One of the distinct advantages of fish farming is in being able to manage the quality of the fish from egg to pack. While ensuring fish health throughout its growth is a significant task for fish farmers, the process of harvesting can have a significant impact on the final fish eating quality. Skilled handling techniques and specialised tools ensures that the farm can literally control not only the texture of the fish, but also the visual appearance, the smell and the flavour. This practice of a considered kill is as important as the growth and final preparation of the fish. Well, originally we harvested fish boys swimming small nets into 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 um, into the, into the into the to catch the fish gently sort of thing. So so we'd actually would we have two people swimming with a, with a sort of a seine net um, or, or a, a beach seine, um, and 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 then we'd actually would physically pick up and examine each fish and select which which fish to keep for market and which ones to to turn back, to return into the pond and stuff like that. So it's incredibly intensive. Um, from that, we moved to uh, gill netting, where we had gill nets in, in basically in big ponds, and, and, and on one side we could put a, a vehicle, but on the other side somebody would have to be um, 
walking through the mud in the deep, the deep mud in the in the centre of the pond, and and actually um, the, we'd physically haul the net out and load it onto a trailer, and then and then take it back to the shed, and then run the net, and each each fish had to be removed from a gill net, which is a pretty it's hard on the people and hard on the fish, so that that was basically um, the next stage. Um, from that, we, we moved moved to uh, brailing, whereby we'd actually, um, at the same time, we bring in our pond sizes down, so we've got more control over our fish, and and um, our harvests are getting uh, quicker and much more precise. And so we'd, we'd crowd fish up and then and then brail them out by scooping them up in a in a in a net. A couple of people um, interested in armour would go in um, and and scoop the fish up, and then a crane would lift them out in, in a net and drop them into the an ice slurry. And then in the in the later stage, basically um, crowding them up and pumping them into, into the slurries. So as we've gone on, we've got systems that are more efficient, uh, gentler on the fish and less um, hazardous to the operators. Growing a beautiful fish is only one part of the equation. Being able to sell it is another. With a long history and abundant supply of wild harvest fish, the culinary reputation of Barramundi was often dependent on the vagaries of seasons, locations, when and who caught it, and often with mixed results. Convincing the market of the consistency, continuity and quality of Humpty Doo Barramundi was a long journey, requiring many in-market partnerships and a lot of time talking to fishmongers, chefs, and consumers. Oh, well, increasingly, um, we, we um, find our fish on the menu um, pretty well all over Australia, really, uh, which, which is really is really pleasing. Um, sometimes we mention it to the people that are serving us um, and, and, and get a bit of feedback from them, which is almost universally positive. Um, which you know, so it's a it's a it's rewarding after um, a very long and hard journey. I think Sydney Fish Market was was a, was and probably still is. We don't sell much on the floor anymore. But Sydney Fish Market gave you a way of getting your product out there um, where there was a competitive bidding process, and I think that was and and they ran a pretty good. Um, Handling and quality control, and they paid quickly and stuff like that. I think, I think Sydney Fish Market's got a uh, a, a big thing. There were there were um, companies such as Joto that we had uh, relationships with, who, who were who were loyal customers, who we um, we tried to never let down because because they they supported us, and so um, we supported them. In, in in recent times, we've got a, a split between uh, retail, which is um, including, you know, the Woolworths and Costco and big um, distribute, distribution businesses, and then also the um, the fish the fish fish agents that supply the top end of the, of the fish market um, around Australia, you know, such as you know, clams and fish boys and and, and other, other quite a few others too. We've so um, yeah, that that pulled that whole relationship where 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 we try to ensure reliability and quality, and then they will promote our product and support our product because um, it's good for them too. You know, it's it's. 
always look for win-win. Succession in a family business is perhaps the most critical challenge among the many unique challenges of a family business, especially when families are unprepared, lack global perspective, or are caught up in emotional issues. For the Richards family, these challenges have been tackled head-on with a symbiotic and often adversarial partnership approach between all members. My wife Julie was in from in from the very start, and and um, and think it was a very hands-on operation in those days. Um, my uh, my son Dan, and uh, subsequently his wife Taryn, have um, joined the business, and, and Dan's now the uh, the CEO, and uh, Taryn Taryn runs the business business services part of the, of the business, and so they're both. Um, Graduates, uh, they both, they both um, also come from family businesses and that sort of thing, and, and that they um, they understand the importance of getting the job done, uh, not analysing things to death, but just taking action and looking for creative solutions. So, so it's been um, a fantastic thing to be in a situation where um, we have got that. Um, succession in place. Uh, my eldest son, Jim, um, is a graduate uh, working at high level in government. But when we um, were stuck with a, with a resignation at one time, he, he left his government job, got got leave, and came in and helped us. Ran and very efficiently ran the administration of the company for six or eight months until we um, restabilised and, and got the show back on the road. So. To a certain extent, um, it's it's you know it's a, it's a man the pumps type business, and and we've been really supported. My eldest sister Anne, um, in the early stages, um, had came in and did our books for us and and helped in various ways. Um, my younger sister Joy and her husband were um, shareholders in the company, and in the early days when the shareholders, all, we all got wet and dirty. Um, because we had no money, so so yeah, it is very much. And then then I've also had um, a number of good friends, uh, Mike and Sue Van Kylenberg and Ian Melville, and, and and other other local local people that were very good family friends have um, been shareholders at times. And and, uh, and so so yeah, it's it's it's, it's these days it's, it's just owned by uh, myself, my two sons, and our respective wives. So it's a is very much a family business. Successful people don't just work hard, they also work differently. Extremely successful people make the impossible possible, and they do it by being resourceful, creative. The Richards family have been at the forefront of innovation, driven by Bob's tireless desire to innovate and improve. They've worked closely with Charles Sturt University and the local Aboriginal people to build a long-term, sustainable and culturally sensitive workplace. I have to give a lot of credit to a guy called Nick Ruello, who was a uh, food scientist, but who, who, who grew up in the, in Sydney fish market in the, in the trade of the family business, but but did the training in fish science, and basically he taught us uh, the importance of of maintaining really good hygiene and very good cool chain management, and and basically getting your fish. Um, Keeping your fish really clean and getting them cold as quickly as possible, um, and and making sure you are consistent, so that the customer would always know what he's going to get. And so um, 
that was drilled into me uh, relatively early, and we put a lot of we invested a lot in getting in getting that quality into into our uh, product. So that that was one of the main things. The second thing is reliability, because if you if somebody is depending on you as a supplier and you let them down, then they let their customers down, and suddenly you know a restaurant or a shop or something doesn't have what they're used to getting, and um, and then they are subject to vagaries in price and and quality and stuff like that. So understanding that the relationship. Um, with, with people, other people in the chain is critically important and, and that, uh, being fair, honest, open, addressing, addressing problems honest, honestly and, and trying to solve them, uh, is, is good business and, and that, um, I think we've really, we've really taken, taken that on and, and that also applies, um, whether you're dealing with government agencies or your own employees or anything that really, we we do try to uh, ensure that communication is is uh, real and frank. Don't don't avoid the issues, but collaborate collaborate on on the, on the solutions. Don't get into the blame game and stuff like that. So I think that's a maturity thing we've developed over the years. Bob Richards and Julie Tyson from Humpty Doo Barramundi have both been appointed to the Order of Australia for their services to aquaculture and the community. Indeed, fitting recognition for their huge commitment to the industry and the local people. Well, the first thing I say is it came as an enormous surprise to Julie and I. We didn't have any uh, inkling <laughs> that it was in the pipeline, so we're, we're, we're very uh, honoured and flattered by it. Um, uh, look, that, that's, that's probably the main thing, and um, I, I guess to some extent, I guess perhaps we feel maybe we're the uh, the flag bearers too for a generation that um, got the industry up and established it and got it commercial. Uh, but there, there's, there's been a, a lot of people have done a lot along the way, and, and so I, I guess we regard it also as being a recognition not just of us, but of the uh, the pioneers who um, established a, a new industry in the country. The husband and wife team of Bob Richards and Julie Tyson are a story of how vision and true grit pay off. The Richards family and the Humpty Doo Barramundi farm continue to grow, innovate and take the local community with them on their remarkable journey. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.